Welcome to Interrevolutionary Radio with this week's host, Helen Hillix. I'm Todd Benton, your co-host. Today's topic, Sky Blue tells us why people are flocking to collective living. Join Sky Blue and hosts Helen Hillix and Todd Benton as they explore, or as we explore, what it takes to live cooperatively and why it is becoming so popular all over the world. Are there different kinds of intentional communities? Find out whether this is a trend just for baby boomers or whether younger people are drawn to, to living cooperatively and why. What are the advantages and major challenges of living in a cooperative situation? How do they resolve the inevitable conflicts? What makes one cooperative successful and another not? How does cooperative living relate to being an interrevolutionary and living according to oneness, accountability, and mutual support. Is it something that you might consider? Join our conversation and see if you get excited about this expanding option. And now, here's Helen. Thank you so much, Todd, and we want to welcome Sky Blue. Uh, Thank you so much for joining us. You're very welcome. Thanks for reaching out and having me on. Well, we're happy to have you. Sky is the executive director for the Fellowship for Intentional Community. And, you know, I know you've got tons of different experiences. Um, I'd like to, first of all, have you talk a little bit, Sky, about what's the difference between, because I, I notice in your biography that you've been a member of a, a community, a, co- a housing collective, a student housing cooperative, and a co-housing community as well as worker cooperatives, which we'll get to maybe later. But I'd like you to talk a little bit about what are the differences in all those things. Yeah, sure. There's there's a, a wide variety of, of models out there. Um, you know, the, the definition of an intentional community that the FIC uses is it, it's a group of people who live together or who share common facilities and who regularly associate with each other on the basis of explicit common values. So, you know, we that that definition is meant to be both very inclusive while also drawing a, a fairly clear distinction about what it is that we're talking about. And so, you know, in general, what we're talking about is people living together, and that could look like uh, in a in a uh, single household. You know, you have a group of people in a single household, or you have. Uh, lots of individual households on the same process property with maybe a common house um, or uh, you know it could and it could be urban it could be rural uh, it could have some uh, sort of uh, mission it could be very mission driven it could be uh, more just a, a pl- nice place for people to live it can be secular it can be religious um, so there's an incredibly incredible wide variety but those those qualities of people, living together, of sharing their lives together, sharing resources, coming together around some kind of explicit set of values is, is what kind of really captures this. So, so I, I, you know, in my, my life, I, I lived in a student ho- housing co-op uh, in Santa Cruz when I was going to the university there, and it was uh, about 25 people in a, a big old Victorian with an annex and an addition, um, and, you know, very collective weekly meetings run by consensus, uh, shared meals every night, um, and then, you know, a variety of social activities. Uh, my, I lived briefly in a co-housing community, which uh, my father actually helped found. Uh, and that co-housing is generally 
it's, you know, when you think of a, a, a typical condominium development, it's actually not mm-hmm. that different. Uh, the main differences are that uh, it's, it's generally been uh, designed and developed, uh, at least with a lot of member input, if not by the members themselves, uh, is governed and managed by the members, and generally has a much more, more of an emphasis this on common facilities and orienting the housing units to foster interaction uh, than you might in a typical condominium development. But a lot of the same basic structures are there. The homeowners association type things are there. Um, so co-housing is a model that kind of looks and feel a lot, you know, the most like what, you know, your average American is, is used to. And so that's part of its, its success. And, um, and do, do people co-own that co-housing group right yeah generally you own your unit um so you you do hold title to to the the particular building that you you live in and often there you know it's a there are connected houses but sometimes they're freestanding um but then the land is owned by some by a corporation that is run by the membership um or it's a land trust or something like that there's some you know generally in a land trust sort of situation you have uh, again, you you would own your own house, but you would basically have like a 99-year lease uh, for uh, the, the the land that the house is on, and the overall land is is again sort of owned collectively um, by by the membership. Okay, got it. Okay, keep going. I just wanted to find that out. Sure. Yeah, I mean, and I think you know the part of what makes an intentional community an intentional community, of course, you know. I t- said in the definition about you know explicit common values. There, there is an intent, right, to to right. people coming together to live together, and and so that's one of the things that helps distinguish between um, between different communities. You know, you have uh, eco villages as a particular model, um, and that was a model that started being developed in the early mid '90s, uh, and is a much more uh, internationally recognized term. Whereas an intent, whereas intentional community is a much more U.S. based term, and actually goes back to the 19. 19- 40s, uh, whereas eco-village as a, as a term and concept, again, came around in the 90s um, and is much more internationally used. Uh, but there are lots of groups in the U.S. also that use the term eco-village. And, and as you might expect, the, the intent there is, uh, is much more around sustainability and not just sustainability in the sort of physical uh, sense or ecological sense. The, the global eco-village network uh, defines sustainability across uh, four dimensions, social, cultural, economic, and ecological sustainability. Cool. Very, very interesting. Well, just as a little bit of a backdrop, um, you know, we're both part of the of a group called the innerrevolution.org that has been around for about 35 years now, I think. Um, I've been involved in it the whole time, so, but I can't, I have no memory, so I don't know exactly how long. Um, <laughs> but... We we are sort of sort of fall into that in terms of being an intentional community, but we're not. We don't live on the same plot of land. But a bunch of us moved to North County, San Diego area, and live within five minutes of each other mm-hmm. um, on purpose. And we have you know the the spiritual, psychological uh, kind of mission driven group that you're talking about and then and then we've started and some of us live all together in one house you know several families sort of live together and then and then some of us live in other states but we connect for meetings and so forth via video conference so i think there are probably other 
groups that don't exactly fit the model, but that are that have that intentional aspect to it. Do you think that's true? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, again, it sounds like you know you're. What you're describing is a situation where maybe not all of you live together, but uh, some of you do. There's also this shared activity that you're you're sharing, and so right. so you know it, it it is bringing you together on a, a regular basis around these these you know the, a certain set of values that you have right. defined. So right. so yeah, absolutely. I mean, again, we're 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 trying to be both both again in- inclusive as well as as distinct in terms of what we're trying to 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 talk about. And you know, I mean, I think. Part of it is that there is a an, a particular experience that comes when you you share your lives with each other, and when I and when I say share your lives, uh, you know I mean again we're we're talking a multi dimensional sort of thing. There's a social aspect uh, and you and an economic aspect as well, and there's an interesting thing that happens when you start getting into resource sharing, when you start sharing facilities, you start start sharing resources, it just creates more interaction. And when you have more interaction, you just naturally generate more intimacy. And so so there is just this naturally occurring intimacy uh, and, and satisfaction, ultimately, that comes from living this way. Uh, more just becomes possible. Uh, you know, there's more of a sense of of uh, support, of of closeness, of of abundance, you're more likely to share more once you have a positive experience of sharing. And I think, you know, there's, when you look at, you know, why do an intentional community? Well, there are, again, there's, there's obvious social benefits, there's obvious economic benefits. Again, you know, simply the more you're sharing, the, the cheaper it's probably going to be. Uh, and there are obvious ecological benefits. If you have a group of people who are, you know, you have five people sharing a, a washing machine versus one or two people sharing a washing machine, it's just ecologically, it's, it's, it makes more sense. And all of these these factors come together and are integrated in a holistic way in intentional communities that are that are really powerful and I think a really important answer to the multifaceted uh, problems that humanity is facing on a global scale at this point in time. Uh, segueing from that, which I totally agree with you, it's like co-housing and intentional communities do resolve so many of the big problems that we are facing right now. And don't you think that's why, I mean, I started reading about this just, you know, on random news articles would come up about, you know, right. a, co- a co-housing uh, facility in, in the UK where seniors, you know, from 55 to 90, you know, all decided to get together and they help each other, take each other to the doctor and, you know, help mm-hmm. with meals and, it, it's just sounded, and of course the financial gain, but you know it. It sounded so such a great way to deal with one issue. I mean, not to mention the issues you've mentioned already, but the also the the issue of the aging population. Absolutely. And yeah. you know, yeah. I'm I'm in that. Age, you know, I'm 68, and you know, thank God I'm very strong and healthy. But you know, I know a lot of people who aren't. And are you know? Of course, we're aging all the time, and there are so many of us, uh, baby boomers, that the housing, the intentional community situation, seems to me like it really supports the the whole group and the whole economy, the whole the whole globe, in helping yeah. you know helping with that population in particular. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. The uh, the co housing world in particular, which is uh, sort of uh, focused centered around the there's an organization called the Co Housing Association of the U.S. Um, and uh, aging in community is definitely a big thing for them. I mean, you you uh, have. Uh, a lot of the original co-housing communities in the U.S. Uh, co-housing was actually a model that was brought over from Europe, uh, Denmark in particular. Um, uh, again, like right around the late '80s, early '90s is when it when when it first came over, uh, and and that model started um, spreading. And so you have a lot of the original co-housing communities that were started in the '90s uh, that are now you know getting on uh, twenty uh, you know close to some close to thirty years old, mm-hmm. and and you know because co-housing is a situation where you you do there is a you 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 buy a, a house or a unit. Uh, and so there is much more of a financial investment than some other uh, models. There's there's less turnover. Uh, there tends to be less turnover in co-housing communities than other models. And uh, so a lot of co-housing communities are, are facing the situation where, you know, a lot of the people who started them, you know, were in their 30s and uh, had young kids and are now, much, you know, much older. The kids have gone off to college and the, the age demographic is starting to skew much older. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's a whole like you know there's there's trying and many communities are trying to address us on multiple levels like they, they want to maintain the intergenerational aspect they really value that there's something really right. special about about intentional communities that do allow for a really integrated intergenerational uh, community uh, and where I live at, at Twin Oaks community we we've managed to do a really great job of this it's about a hundred people um, our youngest adult member is uh, I think 18 or 19 and our oldest adult member is um, Round eighty uh, right now, and we have a pretty even spread throughout the the decades. And and That's just so cool, be, yeah. It's just it's really special to be able to just have all of those different age groups interacting together in in just this very very cohesive way. But uh, I mean, it, it yeah, makes and, it feel like a family. Yeah, exactly, you know? exactly. In an yeah. era so, when our families are far flung, you know, it, right. it and we long for that feeling of belonging and mutual support. Yeah, 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 and you know, and again, though the you know co-housing communities as they the, the their group starts to age, they're they're looking at you know how do we bring in younger people? How do we make sure that it's it's accessible, affordable, that sort of thing? And as well as how do we support each other as, as we age to be able to continue to live in our, our homes and this sort of thing? Um, and so that it's definitely a big thing that's being addressed in this world. There was a there was a, a PBS affiliate called Next Avenue that uh, that got in touch with us a year or two ago, and they were doing a whole thing around this as well, around looking at groups of of elders, you know, people in their fifties and sixties in particular, who were starting to move in together um, for this kind of mutual support, and and really looking at that as a trend. Um, you know, on the flip side, you know, you do see lots of young people who are also very interested in this and different models that are uh, popping up that are more driven by by young people. Um, I've had a couple uh, other, you know, news outlets, uh, college papers, different things contact us recently who have picked up on this trend of of millennials really looking at this as a as an option, uh, both because of declining economic opportunity, but also because I think. You know, like what I was talking about, the social, economic, and ecological benefits and the way that they're intertwined. I think millennials kind of get it more intuitively um, just because of, again, where we're at in the world. And I think the increasing recognition of the problems that that are facing humanity. And I think the 2000s were a, a time of... Of, of really starting to wake up and and be yeah. like, 
okay, there, there are some big problems here and actually, <laughs> actually starting to really face things. And I think in this decade, we're starting to see people really looking more for solutions. And, you know, the amount of media attention that intentional communities ha- has really spiked over the last couple of years. And I think it's because, you know, media outlets are recognizing that their audience are looking for solutions. And so they're looking for solutions. And lo and behold, they come across intentional communities as, as one to, to put out there. You know, I... I I'm kind of an addict, or at least used to be, of home and garden TV. And, uh-huh. you know, the trend over the last couple of years has been toward tiny homes. Yeah, yeah, that's and, a big you one. you know, I feel like this is just, you know, part and parcel of this whole movement of, you know, it used to be that, you know, the, the whole crash in in 2006 was because everybody had to have a bigger house and a bigger house and a bigger house and then more toys and more toys and more toys and it's like you know like you said it this last decade people are saying uh maybe that's not the way to go right, you know right. maybe maybe we actually have to change if we're going to change things yeah and yeah. you know the 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 trend you know it's it's an absolute trend a fashionable trend now to get a tiny home and you know people are putting tiny homes on a plot of land and uh, you know in a collective kind of way i don't know if you've seen that yeah. so much in your in yeah, your it, groups uh, it's it's definitely it's definitely a trend i definitely am aware of of a number of different groups in different places who are who are forming communities with uh, around tiny homes and that is a specific thing there was even there was one group i was working with briefly uh they had an interesting uh a, approach uh i don't know that they what how much success they managed to have but their their idea was to actually um use tiny houses as a way of sort of incubating multiple communities you could basically get a piece of property move a bunch of tiny homes on uh do a combination of sort of rental maybe airbnb you know this sort of thing to generate some income to then be able to start establishing a more permanent and uh permanent residences and facilities and then move the tiny houses to another piece of land and start all over again so wow. so there's you know there's there's always you know these, there's always these interesting innovations that are that are you know coming along that people are interested in, you know I think uh, the potential for intentional communities uh, to to renovate um, urban areas as well. Mm-hmm. There's this group. There's mm-hmm. a group in uh, in Baltimore called the Baltimore Free Farm. Um, you know, mostly a bunch of young people who just started uh, you know buying a couple uh, you know really run down row houses uh, that they then started fixing up. Uh, they started taking over uh, abandoned lots and growing food they worked with uh, a person who uh, right in the in the neighborhood that had a big warehouse space and had it was mostly a neglected dump for for this uh this business owner and they said hey you know if we clean this place up can we can we do a rent uh free sort of thing for a while and the person was amenable and so they created a whole event space bike shop a uh, microbrewery wow. uh, all, all this sort of stuff and so then they were and then they started the 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 agriculture stuff they were doing they started a CSA and a community garden and so there was just this really interesting mix of collective housing uh, urban agriculture and then these community services that they were starting to run out of this warehouse and the amazing thing was this you know this amazing innovative group of young people were putting this together they had never heard of intentional communities they had no idea that anyone else anywhere was doing anything <laughs> like they were doing and and i i kind of came across them and i, I was looking for 
ways to, you know, places to, uh, uh, you know, kind of just put out more information about intentional communities, particularly the, the Twin Oaks Communities Conference that we we host e- each year. And so I got in touch with them and they were like, oh, sure, come do a presentation. And not a whole lot of people came, but a bunch of people from that group came and they were just blown away. They're like, wow, we had no idea. And and now they're much more integrated into the into the network and and just just really doing amazing things. So so again, I think you know it, people get this stuff. You know, it's yes, not like yes. it's you know it's it's pretty obvious on some level. And so if you just are kind of open to possibilities, uh, I think it's a natural direction for people to go. I couldn't agree more. And I think you're right. You know, just and and we're talking about the inner revolution principles of oneness, accountability, and mutual support. I mean, it's like the oneness aspect of of it always comes to me when I see things like that where people are coming up with the same solution in different areas and they don't even know Mm -hmm. about each other. But it's in the oneness. It's just intuitive. Like you said, it's like, it's kind of like a duh, you know, it's like if we're, if, and one thing I've noticed, I'm a counselor by trade and um, I've noticed in my younger clients that, you know, and I'm talking young, meaning college-age kids, um, they don't want to just get out of college and go into the rat race like like yeah. their parents and every other person. They are stopping to say, what can we do differently, mm-hmm. you know, and not just on the level of finances, like you said, but on the level of, you know, there's got to be something out there where we can all do what's for the highest good of all and not just be greedy and competitive but you know cooperative and I you know I think that more and more people are going to turn to this alternative in one iteration or another Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'd like to I'd like to have you talk a little bit about um, speaking of counseling you know how do intentional communities resolve the inevitable conflicts, you know, of uh, whatever it might be, you know, uh, they just have got to come out. Yeah. You know, they've got to happen. And how do they, how do you guys resolve them? What kind of, I've read about it, but I want to hear your take on it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it is a really crucial aspect. I mean, I think, you know, when, when when people ask you know what are the most important things for for a successful intentional community, um, the the top three that, that I usually talk about are one having a clear sense of purpose. You know whatever it is, whatever your purpose is, just being clear about it. Um, the the other one would be uh, finances, like making sure that you're you're really dealing with your finances in a really accountable, as you said, transparent, uh, equitable way. And then uh, communication and conflict resolution. I think I think not attending well to that stuff, uh, not attending to the interpersonal relationships, um, the the emotions, all of the stuff that comes up in the course of of sharing your lives with people. Um, that's you know that's another really common way for a group to fall apart. Um, you know, I mean, you, you identified it earlier, and in, in many respects, living in an intentional community, even if it's a larger one, it's like being in a family. Mm-hmm. There is just a, a a level of interaction that happens that you just get to know each other, and you know, and stuff just kind of comes out that doesn't have as much opportunity when you're living a more the more sort of individualistic lifestyle that that the main, mainstream um, makes available. Um, right. And so, so it's just natural, you know. It's like you, you know, you have you have a whole bunch of brothers and sisters, and you, right. you know what? your brother, your brothers and sisters push your buttons. Like that's just kind of how it works. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, and I mean, and I think there's 
there's a lot of different models out there. You know, there's a, a plethora of different approaches to personal growth, uh, interpersonal communication, conflict resolution. Um, you know, so I, I don't, don't I don't necessarily have uh, some particular ones that I think are, are better than others. Oftentimes, as it's more about uh, collective buy-in, the the sort of the oneness, as as you were talking about, like any any many many meaning processes for. Uh, conflict resolution and building relationships are perfectly fine. It's about the group coming together and really saying, "We're going to do this together, and we're going to we're going to make this this work together." Right. It, it, it's choosing one, whatever it is. Yeah. It, everybody being on board about a particular uh, technique yeah. or or process that is used. Um, but I have. I'd like to. Um... Go ahead. You know, what's been on my mind and what you've been talking about, Sky, is, uh, you know, what recently happened in Charlottesville. I, I wonder what might be different if these kind of people got to really know each other because they were in close proximity. And it's so hard to otherize when you have a connection with people of different cultures, different races, when you actually know them, you know. And uh, I think this could be such a powerful solution um, before people get to that stage, you know, when they're growing up. If they have that experience of meeting people of of different backgrounds that they wouldn't normally come into contact with, how that might change the way people relate. I mean, I know that certainly happened for me. I went to college at in San Francisco. Um, I grew up in L.A., pretty secluded in Malibu with mostly white people, you know. And then I went to San Francisco, and it was uh, way different. And I lived in a communal situation. We all shared a house together. We didn't call it an intentional community, but I got that experience of being around people of different cultures and, you know, being in school and it, it totally changed me and it made me want that kind of lifestyle going forward from there. Yeah. Yeah. It's an interesting thing. I mean, in general, you know, there's, there's a lot of stuff about out there about small group theory that I I think is, is really interesting. Um, you know, there was some, there's some stuff written by uh, Malcolm Gladwell, who wrote The Tipping Point, um, uh, that he's, he's written about it. That's, that's really fascinating. You know, and, and one of the things that it looks at is that when you, when you orient even a larger organization around small groups, and, and generally I think we're, we're talking about you know, it's somewhere in the, range, the realm of 5 to 15 people, um, mm-hmm. more than that, you start getting into a level of, of more am- anonymity that is, you know, it's difficult to maintain m- more intimate relationships uh, amongst that, that number of people. Yeah. Um, but, but even, you know, like, you know, in a community like where I live at Twin Oaks, you know, there, there's generally around 90 adults, uh, but there's, you know, uh, there's uh, seven different residence buildings. Um, and then there are, there are sort of different work areas that people uh, tend to sort of focus around. So, so you, you, while we are kind of like a hundred person family, you, you do still get, get, you know, a more sort of focused interaction with, with certain people that you live with or, or, or tend to work with. Um, and that there, the idea is that, you know, the more you, uh, you are, you sort of, you sort of practice uh, with that small group. Uh, you practice intimacy. You practice compassion. You mm-hmm. you practice empathy, uh, and that the more you you practice that, the more it's going to just naturally translate into uh, relationships that are are more separated or more, more more abstract. Now, you know, it's it's hard to know. You know, the the kinds of people who who showed up in in Charlottesville. Uh, I imagine many of them do have some strong sense of, of community uh, with yeah. with each other. Unfortunately, it's a, a community that's based on uh, on on hate and fear and um, and often violence. Uh, 
but you know there's there's still something there but unfortunately it's you know clearly the basis of it doesn't allow for that same practicing of compassion that then translates to to other people so you know i mean it's it's a good question you know what 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 what's what is the best way to to approach that? And I, I mean, I think I mean I, I was actually in Charlottesville. Twin, Twin Oaks is actually very close to Charlottesville, so I, I was there last Saturday. Wow. That's what I thought that you might be. I know you're in Virginia, but I didn't know exactly where on on the yeah. map. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was it was really interesting, you know, being there and trying to be a uh, you know. Uh, you know, be a, being a trying to be a peaceful presence while also taking a clear stand. Stand, yeah. Um, yeah. That that's saying like you know, no, th- this is this is not okay. This is this is not acceptable. We're not going to tolerate this. Um, you know, and it, it's it's and it's it was it was you know it's scary. It was scary to see the people, uh, you know, with guns and uh, people, you know, very clearly, you know, with a intent to harm, um, and just yeah. kind of trying to to be a presence in the face of that, and you know, just trying <laughs> trying to find find compassion, you know, there trying to trying to recognize, you know, yeah, these are human beings. They are whether it's based in reality or not, they are clearly deeply afraid. Um, yeah. Yes. You know, uh, and and so just trying to trying to maintain that sense even while taking a strong stand and not allowing them to to perpetuate the the hate that they were perpetuating. Um, you know, I mean, obviously, in an intentional community, you're generally coming together with people who are much more like minded. You're not dealing with anything on that same level, but right. But yeah. I know, you know, I I, I was <laughs> very pretty. You know, there was there was I think about uh, fifteen or so. Twin Oakers who all went out together to um, to counter protest, um, and you know I was certainly very proud of my community for the way it the way it showed up in that way, and I, I think that that mutual support that we have together, you know, we were able to then bring that into that space and be there together to help be a presence there. Yeah. I like what you're saying about that because um, I think that that belonging energy again. Um, that we get in intentional community situations, it, it's a groundedness. You know, there's a, there's a groundedness and a strength that we have that we're not alone. Yeah. And, you know, living together, and again, our community, we spend a lot of time together. We have a lot of meetings during the week on video conference. You know, we're very cohesive. And, you know, we'll always, like you, I'm sure, at, at Twin Oaks, you know, you have people that you're just more of a personality affinity with than other people. But we love everybody. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. there, mm-hmm. there's a sense that we really share a very deep and abiding mutual love. And it's true that when we go out into the world with that grounded strength within us and behind us and, you know, around us from our intentional community, it's easier to take that stand out in the world and to emanate that loving energy and, you know, to to be, be a... a, a a wall of positive energy going out there, if you will. Um, and hopefully someday the power of that love will help dissolve the fear that is in such people as the, you know, for the far right neo-Nazis and so, and so forth. Because yeah. you're so right. It's just fear. And they don't have that sense of, they may have a sense of belonging in their group, but because it's based on fear and hate, there, there is no real strength in it. Right, right, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I, I, mean, I love the intentional community idea from from the perspective of expanding love. Go ahead. Yeah. 
Yeah, well, I mean, and I, I think getting back to, you know, your kind of your original question about conflict resolution, I mean, I think there's an, a, an interesting distinction to be made where, you know, yeah, we there is this, like, this love and, and caring that that we're we're practicing with each other, and that you know we're 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 going to be there for each other. Uh, you know, at the same time, you know, and again, this is sort of you know it's analogous to to your family. Like you love them, you don't always like them. You, know, you, know, you, <laughs> right. don't, you don't always you don't you don't always get along. You don't you know you might say like I don't I lo- I love you, but I don't like you very much right now. Um, and uh, and I you know we we get into that, and of course you know it's 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 important to as much as possible remember you know what we are here for, and and the 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 support and the love and the the caring um, that we're we're trying to practice with each other, but. But yeah, the, that sort of thing happens. I mean, you know, at Twin Oaks, I mean, again, it's a large, larger community. Um, there are certainly people who, you know, they've had uh, differences. They've maybe had it out at times. Things have happened and they just don't talk to each other. You know, they, they just have gotten to a place where it's, they have just, they're not really able to resolve things with each other. And, you know, there's an interesting there, thing there that happens in the community too, where, you know, the, it's, it's a, it's a strain you know, on the community, but at the same time, there's it also there's still a practice there of the community holding that and being like, okay, we're we're gonna we're strong enough to to hold some amount of of this sort of discord and disagreement and uh, and strife that is sort of inevitable. Um, you know, both because you know we're just human and this this happens, and but also because of just all the baggage that we're bringing in from from mainstream society and um, you know our upbringings and all this sort of stuff. I mean. Uh, the the kind of uh, competitiveness, the scarcity, all these sorts of things. I mean, it's so antithetical to what we're trying to do in intentional communities. And so, of course, all of that training, all that conditioning, it comes up in different ways, and um, and we run into to conflicts with the community as a whole or with each other and that sort of thing. And you know, and and sometimes you know, sometimes the best we can do in terms of dealing with it uh, doesn't you know isn't isn't great. You know, again, it might look like people not speaking to each other. Um, but, you know, I think for the most part, you know, the, there is also a sort of social pressure that comes in, you know, at times where it's like if something is so acute, there's going to be enough people encouraging their, their friend in the situation like, hey, this is, this is really sucking. You really need to do, do some work here. Um, so, I mean, I think it, there's just sort of a more natural impetus to, to do that work, even if people are resistant to it or don't, not necessarily committed to it. There's still, if they're there you know, there's going to be some some uh, motivation to, to do that kind of work. Right. There's an implicit commitment to work it out. You know, yeah. in our in our community, it, it's a very therapeutically oriented community. So we would say, you know, you guys need some sessions. Right. <laughs> and, right. you know, they may have five sessions together and they still don't like each other worth a hoot. But, uh, you know, eventually over the years, because that's how it is, it, we have a pretty you know, a core group of 25 people or so who are, are very dedicated and long, there's a lot of longevity. So eventually they, they work it out. But I agree right. with you. And I think it's a more a more realistic model of the world. Yes. Not everybody's going to, to commit to that kind of therapeutic right. work. Um, so, you know, agreeing to disagree may be the best we can do in this evolutionary stage in which we find ourselves. And, and that's a model, though, that we can carry out into the world that, you know, if the best we can do is agree to disagree, we still want to include you. Yeah, yeah, you know, exactly. We still want to relate to you. We still want to give you a hug. We still want to listen to you. We still want to hear you. And, you know, that's what I hear you saying about, you know, that 
is an effective model again at this stage and I hope that energy can spread. Yeah. I love what you said about that whole thing, Sky. Um, there's a level of wisdom and honesty and reality. I mean, that is reality. There are people, when you're part of community, there are people that you're going to not like. Yeah. And learning yeah. how to live with that. And then the, the community being strong enough as a community that, can, that it can kind of wrap its arms around those people and hold that, hold that like you said, hold that inherent conflict without having a loss of power as a, as a whole community, you know? Yeah, yeah. So that's, that's really important. Yeah, I mean, there, there's some basic thing. I mean, uh, Twin Oaks, for as an example, you know, one of its very explicit core values is nonviolence. Um, I think you know, lot, most communities, while while they may not necessarily name that exactly, it's it's clearly implicit in in whatever documents that they've created that that define the community. And I, I think that there, there's something to that commitment that you know. We are, we are not going to resolve conflicts violently, you know, that, that it just, it's very fundamental. Like it just fundamentally changes the, the nature of conflict when, when you have that commitment in place. Yeah, that's a pretty basic commitment. <laughs> yeah. And it's hard for people to hold. I mean, I saw people, I saw a Vice video today and it just, it was heartbreaking for me because of the violence, you know, just the, the, they were effing, you know, this guy that came out to talk and I understand they were upset. Someone got run over, but you know, just the hatred from the other side was then it just, it feeds the whole thing. You know, it's like, it's, it's frustrating to see that. And uh, I understand the pain when, when you see someone get run over by a car, but you know, I, it's it's hard because I wasn't there. I can't say, you know, what I might have been experiencing if that had happened to someone close to me, my friend, or even just having seen it or felt it, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, but I think you do know you wouldn't have done that. Right. You, you I wouldn't, wouldn't have gone custom you know, out and or right. I would have gotten support from someone and said, okay, I need, I need, I need to talk to someone. I'm really pissed off right now. Help. Right, yeah. right. Yeah. Um, you know, I had a thought. It's kind of taking a, a side road here, but I live in a, uh, a big subdivision community where we have houses on very small plots of land. I moved here a couple of years ago, you know, as a move, as a downsize. And you know, the, the, the issue I want to talk about is we have a Facebook page, a Facebook group page for our community. And there are like 700 houses here or something huge like that um but you know it in a way it, it's its own little intentional community even though we don't even know each other's names you know we do know few of our neighbors names but if you put a little post on there that says i need to borrow a sewing machine somebody will say you can have mine mm-hmm. if my kid mm-hmm. needs a ride my kid needs a ride to school tomorrow or or every day you know and people will volunteer to take your kid to school every day Mm-hmm. And, you know, I feel like that, too, is a it's a longing for that feeling of intentional community that we've got each other's backs. Um, and I feel like, you know, it's it's not just in the kind of intentional communities that you're talking about. It's like there's a longing out there that's being met. And I wonder if you would talk to speak to the issue of. Is there a way that technology, like our little Facebook group, is there a way that technology is supporting intentional community development? 
Well, I mean, absolutely. I mean, I think intentional communities, like any other kind of uh, organization, enterprise, business, whatever. I mean, you can't, you kind of can't really exist without a website and a Facebook page at, at this point. Like that's just sort of there. Um, it's a given. Uh, and speaking uh, you know, of that, so before it, you go on, would you mention yours? Sure. Yeah. Of course. So the fellowship. For intentional community, our website is www.ic.org. Uh, we were uh, actually early adopters of of the internet, early enough that we managed to get a two letter domain name, which really I'm going to say that's right. amazing. <laughs> yeah. Um, the uh, there's a tremendous and Twin Oaks as well. Sorry, and Twin Oaks as well, right? <laughs> TwinOaks.org. I was like, wow, how did they get right. it out? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We've we've definitely had it for a while. Um, yeah, so on IC.org, I mean, so so three of our main uh, uh, programs and services for the Fellowship for Intentional Community are uh, our directory, our magazine, and our bookstore. So the community's directory, uh, we do um, do a print version uh, uh, on occasion, uh, but it is available online uh, for free. Groups can list there. Uh, people can go and look at listings. Um, and there are there are currently. I think around 1,400 uh, listings in the in the directory. Uh, about 800 or so of those, I believe, are in the United States. Uh, there's another chunk in Canada, uh, some in Mexico, and then also in other other countries around the world as well. Um, the uh, the com- we publish Communities Magazine, uh, which is a print publication, but uh, you can also get it digitally. And we do al- also make a, a tremendous number of the articles uh, available for free online. Um, also, as a membership benefit, if you become a member of uh, of the FIC, you get uh, digital back issues for free of Communities Magazine up to three years ago. Um, and it, it's just, you know, it's a quarterly publication, just treasure trope of wisdom on uh, intentional community and cooperative culture. Uh, and then we run a bookstore that there's well over 150 titles related to community living, sustainability, group process, conflict resolution, permaculture, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Wow. Um, and then there's lots of lots of other resources on there as well. We do classified ads. Uh, you can list events. You can, if you're seeking a community, you can post a listing. If you're uh, wanting to help found a community, you can post a listing. If you're a community looking for members, you can post a listing. Um, oh, cool. So a lot of different things. Yeah. So we, we really to just try and put out as much information as possible. Of course, we have a blog, we have a Facebook page, so um, you know, all great ways to to connect with what we're doing. Your Facebook page is the same thing. Uh, the Fellowship for Intentional Communities or the Twin Oaks? Yeah, I believe so. Uh, Fellowship for Intentional Community. Yeah, I mean, Twin Oaks also has its own Facebook page, of course, as well. Of course. Yeah. Okay. Well, I wanted to let you. I wanted to let you get that plug in so that sure, our, our thank listeners you. will know where to go to, and and it, and I am assuming that you do consultations out there. You know, your biography said that you've worked with communities kind of around the world. I'd like you to talk a little bit about that too. Sure. Well, so let's see. The I mean, the you know, from the from the technology. Per- perspective i mean it's what's interesting to me is what's kind of fascinating is that the 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 first version of a community's directory was actually i'm trying to remember what year it was published it was actually published in the precursor to communities magazine and i want to say it was 1972 um and there obviously there were there weren't there weren't a lot of communities listed but there were and you know, and obviously this is well before the internet. I'm just like, how did they even find each other? It's you know, it's just kind of amazing to me as you know, more or less a child of the digital age that that that, that was even a thing that existed. 
Um, but uh, but obviously, you know, it's it's the the internet has been a huge benefit. The the I think let's see if I can remember the the 1995 communities directory had uh, 200 something listings. The 2010 directory, I think it was the 2010 one, had about uh, 500 something. Uh, and then the the 2016 had about 1,200. Um, so you know, clear clear uh, uh, expansion going on there. Um, and and I'm sure you know. And of course, the the internet um, has been a, played a, a key key part of of that and being able to organize. Um, the you know, uh, I was just going to say, what's so funny about that to me, Sky, is that in a lot of ways it feels like a throwback you know, to old times when people lived more in, in, you know, in interdependent community kind of situations. You never left your family, you know, generations lived together and so forth. And, and in some ways it feels old fashioned, quote unquote, like that, although I know it's not really, but, you know, it's just ironic to me that, that the technology is, is helping us to, go back to this way of living that we think of as old fashioned. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think if you look at, you know, uh, native and indigenous peoples around the world, of course, there's, there's, uh, you know, and in, in the idea of an intentional community is definitely kind of harkening back to that or trying to, mm-hmm. trying to, to recapture some of what has been unfortunately uh, killed and destroyed um, mm-hmm. around the world. But I, I think, you know, uh, indigenous cultures tended to much have more have this integration of, you know, of their values, of their spirituality, of their culture um, mm-hmm. within their lifestyle and uh, and uh, just a natural communalism um, and sharing and working together. Um, that again, yeah, that's definitely something that we're trying to get back to. Um, and, but even, you know, if you, even if you look at um, European settlers in this country, I mean, you know, uh, despite what they, the the atrocities that they may, some of them may have committed or whatever, you know, they did often come. They were often a particular spiritual group that was, you know, trying to find a place to be able to just go and do their their thing and and live and uh, and and live together. Mm-hmm. So in many respects, you're going to look at a lot of the early settlements uh, from Europeans and in, in, uh, on this continent as as intentional communities, um, and you know, and that that legacy of of people just of saying saying you know we're we're not we're not we're seeing some problems in society, uh, you know, and whatever their analysis is, they're saying we want to we want to try something different, and, you know. So there's an inherently kind of idealistic, hopeful, optimistic aspect uh to it you know again of course hopefully it's it's a it, they're looking at something that's not based on uh you know hate or discrimination or, or uh superiority or that sort of thing but um but the, but there is an inherent idealism i think going on there um and and yeah there's a there's a legacy of this people doing this that of course you know even in europe in uh, in amongst indigenous people but it, it goes back hundreds of years thousands of years years i mean monasteries on some basic level uh, mm-hmm. are, are are intentional communities as well and right, there's a long right. long cross-cultural history of, of those sorts of institutions what do you think is different about the um the intentional you know the communes let's say of the 60s uh and what's happening now yeah, that's a, that's a good question. I mean, I think that there, there, you know, the 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 notion that you know the that there was sort of a, an escaping uh, thing that was happening, uh, the, the back to the land movement, a, a getting away from 
um, uh, mainstream society. I mean, that, that was, you know, certainly all very much there, very, very true. Um, you know, but but again, there was also a, just a, 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 a level of experimentation of, of of people seeing things as possible that they hadn't seen before. That was that was also very much an aspect mm-hmm. of it. Um, and I think I think there, it, but it, but it wasn't a response uh, it, to um, the, the problems facing humanity on a global scale in the same way that it is today. And, you know, again. We've talked about it's. I think people are feeling it much more acutely. It's much more more defined. It's much more uh, you know visible uh, through through media, through the internet, this sort of thing. So I think you know there's certainly a trend uh, that I'm seeing um, that that there more more and more you know intentional communities that are forming. They they are much more mission driven. They are really saying, hey, we want to we want to do what we're doing, but we also want to be a demo demonstration center. We also want to do a lot of, uh, ed- we want to run educational activities. You know, we want to be a, a place for people to come and learn about possibilities and learn uh, about how um, they can, you know, go start similar communities or just take take it into their lives and um, and live in a way that's going to be more, more beneficial to everyone. Um, so yeah, absolutely a trend there. Yeah, it's funny that you know that that was my era. You know, mm-hmm. I graduated I graduated high school in '67, and you know the hip all the hippies, and and it's just funny that as as we people have matured, that whole idea has also matured, and I, I'm sure there are a lot of people who would never have lived in a commune to save their soul would now consider living in a co-housing situation. So sure, right, that's also right, very yeah. cool that I think society has also matured and evolved and doesn't look down its nose at, you know, different ideas anymore. You know, the whole idea mm-hmm. of, of owning individual homes may someday be a thing of the past. Right. And right. the same thing with cars. I mean, the whole car industry now is moving toward renting cars, because people are seeing that it's so expensive and so ecologically unsound to own individual cars. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I just right. I think it's 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 a sign of the times. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, you asked before you asked a couple of things. I'm not sure if I remember both of them. You you asked about uh, sort of the there's a, the global movement um, around yes, this yes. sort of stuff, thank, and, and thank you know, you. and I, I sure, yeah. That. The, you know, so I mentioned earlier, there's an organization called the Global Eco Village Network, uh, and they were founded, I think, in '94 or '95, um, and it was uh, it was out of some work that some people were doing to uh, define what 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 does sustainable communities look like, um, you know, and so uh, uh, the the idea with an eco village, one definition uh, of an eco village is that it is a uh, a full featured human settlement. Uh, integrated in the natural natural environment and continuable into the indefinite future. So wow. you know, <laughs> so right again, you know, you're you're looking at this like it's a full featured human settlement. So again, we're not just talking about people living together. We're not talking about just talking about business. We're talking about the integration of uh, of these activities. I mean, it gets back to this idea that you know the the root word of of uh, eco that is part of both. Um, uh, ecology and economics uh, is is the Greek word uh, for home, and so this so especially economics, um, you know, it, it's it, when you look at at that term, uh, thinking about 
the the root word of it being home, it, it gives a whole different sense of it. You know, it it becomes about just where we live, where we come from, how it is that we uh, uh, sustain ourselves, where the place where we get our basic needs met, uh, and that if that if that, that the idea behind that you know that eco villages were bringing in was that was that that's what we're really going for here. We're like, we're, how do we how do we get our basic needs met? You know, again, not just physical, but but also show, social, cultural, um, and do it in a way that's really integrated with nature and really uh, uh, sustainable. Um, and, uh, you know, of course, these days, the, increasingly people are starting to use the term regenerative because obviously sustainable, we're, we're a little past sustainable in terms of the, the damage that we've done to the planet right now. So we actually need to be looking Regenerating, at how do, we, right. how do we regenerate. So. So that that was there, and I, you know, and I think what's what's been interesting with the Global Eco Village Network, and they do have ties with communities all over the world, and one of the really interesting places that they're working is, uh, you know, they 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 have ties with a lot of um, traditional villages in uh, different parts of the world, in Africa, in Asia, um, where there there is a a cultural continuity uh, and of their sort of village life that hasn't actually been lost. And rather than sort of following down the the uh, the, the usual path of, of uh, global economic development, uh, they're looking at like, well, how can we how can we go in a different kind of development? How can we you know let's let's skip the uh, the tying into the grid and let's just go straight to solar panels? You right. know, and, and so so really so becoming so almost you know so so just taking these villages and just sort of uh, just them just be coming eco villages so there's, there's some really interesting stuff happening um in, in that realm um and again it's it's really i was actually and i went to uh their 20th anniversary event uh at a eco village called Fintorn in scotland um a couple years ago and and just getting to to meet people again you know from uh from from africa you know west africa from egypt um there was a, a woman from palestine there was you know several people from all over asia and oceania um and just the, you know ta- getting to hear their stories and the different sorts of issues that, that they're facing in their different uh in their different places but all connected through these very ma- very fundamental similar ideas of wanting to uh, you know, create these communities where humanity and nature is no longer this separate thing, but but we are integrated and and uh, doing it sustainably and regeneratively. Yeah, Findhorn is certainly famous. Our founder's husband was there for a few years, uh, you know, uh-huh. a long a long time ago. So, and he still has friends there. Um, let Let's t- go to. Uh, next week's show if you could tell us a little bit about that todd and then we'll come back for some closing comments guy sure great all right so next week the rabid right love your enemy or give them hell a a debate between madam mazurka and beth green the rabid right is not simply people expressing their opinions it is people who are insulting venomous and sometimes even threatening They have been encouraged by Donald Trump, who doesn't care about facts or decency. So how do we respond to the anger, lies, and downright meanness of the rabid right? Today's show is a debate between two sides of host Beth Green. In one corner is Beth, a woman trying to hang on to her humanity as she is being attacked, still trying to reach out compassionately to her attackers in the spirit of oneness. 
In the other corner is Madame Mazurka, Beth's alter ego, who is a hilarious Transylvanian psychic who's been dead too long to care and is ready to duke it out with her opponents. Which is the right approach for our times? Compassion or retort? You be the judge. If you feel upset by our nation's current discourse and want a chance to think through how we should respond, tune in. Thank you so much. I'm I'm really looking forward to that. And, you know, it speaks to exactly this. This is a show from when is it? When, when did that first air? This was in um, January 2016. Yeah. So, you know, it's like here we are all these months later, you know, a year and a half later. Right. And we're still... You know, it's so timely. It's just so sad. But anyway, that's for next week. And Sky, thank you so much for being on our show. I mean, you were such a wealth of information. And I feel newly encouraged about the way that a lot of people are moving. Even though others are going in a direction we can't condone, there are many of us who are going in a direction that that is regenerative. And, you know, you certainly represent that in your personal life. And in your professional life, and uh, is there what would you like to say just to say goodbye to our audience today? Well, I think the the last thing I, I'd like to to share is just you know some perspective from you know a lot of what we're dealing with, especially in this country today. I mean, all this stuff around Trump, um, you know, and, and everything that that he is sort of uh, helping catalyze or bring to the fore, uh, and is you know there it's. There's one of the the things that I think is happening is you know we're we're particularly we're get, we're starting to talk about uh, both race and class in a way that it seems like we haven't been able to, to talk about um, as a society before mm-hmm. and I think there's something that's been really powerful there and and it yes. is is starting to grow more uh, within the intentional communities movement as well and you know I talked earlier about the idea that intentional communities are are qu- essentially these very idealistic hope. Um, you know, ways that people are trying to respond to issues that they're seeing in society. And I think one of the things that I'm, you know, increasingly trying to help bring into awareness is that it's not, it's, you know, creating our own nice little utopia, uh, as great as that is, it, it, it isn't actually enough. If mm-hmm. we have the uh, ability, if we have the privilege, uh, the, the access to resources to be able to pre- pursue this, then we have a responsibility to help make that available to other people as well. And to make sure that it's, it's them doing it on their terms, not, you know, this sort of like, oh, we'll create this thing and then you're welcome to, right. to come in. That, that, right. that, that doesn't work. But really looking at us, you know, because the intentional communities movement is a predominantly white middle class movement. There are is definitely a history uh, and contemporary plenty, you know, lots of examples of uh, mixed race and people of color led communities. But but it is still predominantly white and middle class. And, you know, I think in my role, I'm increasingly trying to remind people of the responsibility that we we do have to make sure that that the that this ability to uh, this ability for you know kind of self determination and and to really uh, have a say over the daily conditions of your life is is a human right. It's something that everyone needs to be have access to. And as long as as people don't have access to it, we all need to be able to to um, we need to work towards that. Yeah, I've awesome. got to stop gotta you because yeah, we have to we have to stop. But I love what you're saying, and it's certainly an interrevolutionary idea that we we have a responsibility. And thank you so much, Sky. You were a doll to interview, and I wish you all the best. 
You're welcome. Thanks so much. I had a great time. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Inner Revolutionary Radio. The next episode will broadcast live next Thursday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Be inspired. Join us. <laughs>